Welcome to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Today I have with me Rand Toulouse from Rand and Associates Mortgage. We're going to talk a little bit about home buying, home mortgages, renting versus buying, all that good stuff. Rand, it's good to have you here. Hey, thank you, Max. Yeah. So, uh, Rand, give us a little bit about your background. What what got you into the mortgage business? What you know? What what made you say, you know what? I want to give people thousands of dollars to be able to buy a house. Yeah, I didn't get into the mortgage business to give people thousands of dollars. I got in the business to uh, spend more time at home with my family. But um, I think that happened in 1999, and um, didn't really know what I was doing. I went into a at that point in 1999. I went into the business with a subprime mortgage company that was not in the best interest of people and I pretty much figured it out real quick that it wasn't where I wanted to be right and uh, decided within about six months to go into the wholesale mortgage broker side which is uh, a, the side where you um, you're not with a bank you work pretty much for yourself and uh, you have the ability to kind of get more options and better choices and a lot less cost for the average average Joe buying a house gotcha so You've been in the business 20 plus years, mm-hmm. uh, so you probably know a little bit of what you're talking about. So that's good. That's good. Okay. So uh, for somebody out there that's, let's say, renting, I mean, a, a, a lot of people just look at, you know, I'm renting a house, I'm renting an apartment, I know what my rent's going to be, you know, maybe every year, every two years, my lease comes up, I know it gets a little more expensive, mm-hmm. and they're just, they're really afraid to just take that jump into buying because they think, oh, it's, it's so much more expensive. Uh, there, there's so much more that I'm going to have to do. I'm, I'm afraid of doing that. So for, for that person out there that's renting an apartment, say renting a house, and especially right now in kind of the age of COVID that we're in right now, a lot of people are realizing they're working from home. They need to kind of have that place of their own. What, what's the big message to tell somebody, hey, if you're renting, here's why you should buy? Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good question. I will tell you, I get that. I get that call a lot, um, and I'll tell you. Over the last five years, I've probably tried to, to really convince, uh, uh, probably fifty people, quit renting, get off the sidelines, and buy a house. And <clears throat> perfect example, let's say two thousand and seventeen, you could buy a house in Keller, Texas, three bedroom, two bath house for probably one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars in certain parts of Keller. Okay. 2020, fast forward, and that same house is worth $260,000. Sure. So and if you bought that house in 2017 for $150,000, first time home buyer, probably to get in the home with a little bit of help from the seller, costs a little bit more than the first and last month's rent with a deposit. So $150,000 probably costs you... Forty-five hundred to five thousand dollars to get in that house. First and last month's rent and a deposit. Your payment on a three-bedroom, two-bath house, thirteen hundred bucks a month. Probably less than what you would pay for a three-bedroom, two-bath house to rent in Keller at that same time frame. Do that in 2017, and you decide in 2020 you want to sell it. You paid the same. Your taxes might have gone on property taxes. Your payment might have gone from twelve fifty or thirteen hundred to fourteen fifty, fifteen hundred in the four years, only because taxes on that house have gone up. And now you have a hundred thousand dollars in equity. 
in five, four years. That's a significant amount of money that as a renter, you just gave to your landlord. Right. And that, I mean, that more than anything else builds wealth. It allows you to move up. Now you can put $100,000 down, 20% down on a half million dollar home, let alone a $300,000 home. Man, that's the fastest way that a, a person new to the market can really build wealth and jump ahead in their life to be able to move up without being stuck in the rent trap. So it, let's say uh, I'm a renter, right? And I'm living in an apartment, uh, never bought a house before, you know, and I'm paying my fifteen, sixteen dollars $1,600 a month in rent. Mm-hmm. But, but I've got good credit. Uh, I'm paying my bills on time and all that. And then I come and see you and I say, look, Rand, I, I want to buy a house. And I know I'm going to have to have some, some money down or whatever. What, what steps do I need to take to kind of get myself prepared for that transition? Taking out of account that, you know, whenever my lease is up on my apartment, let's ignore that part. Let's just say, you know, I'm, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, what do I need to do to plan for that eventual closing? I picked my house. I've done all that. You know, it, I'm just talking about how am I going to fund this mortgage? What what do I need to do? What do I need to have in the bank? What do I need to have prepared to be able to buy that house? Okay, fair question. I, there's a couple of things you could pretty much plan on as a first-time buyer, um, especially in the age of COVID. There's very little down payment assistance out there. There's some, but um, you can plan on about 3 to 3.5% down, depending on the type of mortgage program. Now, remem- um, remember, it, I know you're in the mortgage business, so some of this kind of rolls okay. off. So three, three and a half okay, percent so of the say, purchase price so of the, the purchase house. Price. So let's say a $200,000 home, 3%, 6,000, 3.5%, uh, seven, maybe. 7,500 bucks. Yeah, something like that. 6,7500 bucks down on a $200,000 home. Um, that money can be saved by you. It can be a gift from a family member, or it can be borrowed from a a 401k. You can't go out and borrow it on a credit card. Sure. But money that is rightfully yours down checking or savings, 401k or a, a related some type of father, brother, sister, cousin, some type of relative can also give you down payment money. Or if you have a really awesome employer, an employer can gift you the money or an employer can let you be advanced the money for a down payment to okay. get into a house. Um, that's kind of what you can expect. Um, how three often, to three and a half percent. How often do you have people that kind of go to their employers and say, "Hey, can you advance me money because I'm trying to buy a house?" How how would they <laughs> go yeah. to that? I mean, are, are we talking about I'm working for I'm working for Rand or I'm working for some big company like Google? I mean, it, do some companies have programs that maybe their employees don't know about that are trying to help them buy a house and say, "Hey, we're going to advance you the money because yes, we want you to be a homeowner and and do that." Have you found that in your uh, experience? It's not. It's not prevalent. Okay. It's not prevalent, but I would probably say it's happened in the last five years, probably five times. I've had one one employer that in North Richmond Hills say, "Hey." I have five or six guys that have been with me for five years. I want you to come talk to them. I want you to kind of explain the process. And then I am willing to help them with a down payment. It happens. Sure. Um, I've had other, I've had other people say my employer approached me. They knew I was looking to rent a house. They were willing to help me. It, it does. Absolutely. I mean, you never know unless you ask, but I would say some of the larger companies may very well have a program out there that would be, I don't, I don't, 
There's nothing official out there, but but it's kind of one of those things maybe you want to run over with your HR department or something like that, because you never know until you ask. Uh, Uh, 100%. I've always said that. I I fooled my kids one day because I went into a convenience store and said, hey, will you give me two of these for a dollar? And they were 75 cents each. It was an independent store. I said, look, it never hurts to ask. You're not going to know the answer to the question if you don't ask the question. You know, Mm -hmm. you can just blindly assume that everything's supposed to be the way so yeah. there, there could be some possible programs out there or you know you're a good employee right and so your boss or your company or whatever wants to help you out and say yeah you know we want you to buy a house yeah so uh so going going back because i kind of interrupted you there you know three three and a half percent it you need to have a source for that cash right? right so so if you're looking to shop for a house and you know you've got your six grand in the bank mm-hmm. so that's your three percent down payment you're mm-hmm. going to buy a two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar house what's mm-hmm. next uh just be aware that that's not your only cost um three to three and a half percent down first time home buyer is great but on average two to three hundred thousand dollar loan um you're probably looking at four thousand to five thousand dollars in closing cost okay so you've got to be prepared and tell everybody what closing mm-hmm. costs so are. So closing costs are going to be appraisal, title survey, um, and then setting up taxes and insurance. I, I, because I'm a mortgage broker, I have very limited lender fees or, of the origination points, processing fees, underwriting. The advantage to using a, a mortgage broker is you're probably not going to pay those fees that a, that a larger bank that we all know of will be charging. Right. So, so, so the difference between a mortgage broker then and say going down to your your bank and saying, hey, you know, my checking accounts here, my savings accounts here, maybe I have a little uh, retirement account here. So I do all my banking here, and you have a sign up that says mortgages. They should probably steer clear of that because they can get a better deal at a broker. Yeah, I find that a lot of people are very loyal to where they keep their bank. I mean, keep their money. Right. So they're going to go talk to their bank first, thinking, I've been loyal to this bank. They have my money. They're going to treat me right. 100% wrong. They're going to they're gonna see you coming, and they're going to be ready. $1,500 to $1,800 in cost on top of the 3 to 3.5% and appraisal and survey and taxes and insurance that you wouldn't probably pay with a mortgage broker. So, you know, that's a, sig- that's a significant amount of money. Sure. Absolutely um, is. So... Um, the, the good thing is anything that's not down payment related can be given to you from the seller or the real estate agent, or if the mortgage broker, there's ways that the mortgage broker can help with those closing costs, um, that are allowed to be contributed to you without the money that you saved in your savings, a gift of, from your employer or from your family or a 401k, those funds are very restricted on where they can come from. The closing costs can come from anywhere. Right, but that's something that that local bank that's had your checking savings account, even though you've been direct depositing your money every two weeks, that Mm -hmm. they still charge you 14 bucks a month, and you think, oh, well, you know, they're still helping me out, Mm -hmm. because when I, you know, walk in there, if if you actually have a bank now that doesn't charge you a fee to talk to a person, right? Because we're (laughs) trying to be encouraged to use ATM machines, online banking, and everything. These guys that, like you say, have been doing you all these favors are still not going to do you the same kind of favors that a mortgage broker can do you. Right, And and to add to that, 
the major advantage to a mortgage broker is um, we lend directly based on what Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or FHA or VA or USDA guidelines require. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac is conventional financing where typically 5 to 20% down is typical. FHA, very much driven to a first-time home buyer program, 3.5% down is their requirement, but they're much more liberal on credit blemishes or, or bankruptcies or a lost job that caused you maybe to have a 30-day late on a credit card. Veterans loans, that they allow you to go up much higher on a home that you might not be able to afford on a conventional loan that you VA will be very much more willing to help you with. They, um, they have their certain guidelines that they require, but then if you go to a bank, a typical bank institution, they're going to have requirements on top of those requirements that make it even more difficult to buy a home. Like They may say, I know Fannie Mae or FHA or VA says you can buy a $250,000 home, but we think that's too much for you, so we're going to tell you you can only buy a $220,000 home. A mortgage broker is not going to put those same restrictions on you. They're going to allow you to buy what the VA or the conventional institutions allow and not make those decisions on your behalf. So why can FHA do things like this? Let, let, let's stick with that one for a second. That, that's more geared towards the first-time home buyer, but I'm guessing you keep saying it's geared towards them, but you can get an FHA loan if you're not a first-time home buyer. Yep. So how can FHA do this? FHA is 100% sponsored by HUD, the Housing and Urban Development. Those loans are underwritten by the federal government. Okay. And they want to be able to help first-time, specifically first-time home buyers. But like you said, anyone can use FHA. There's, some, there's, there's a whole lot of awesome things that FHA provides. I mean, rates are in the high twos. They do a 15-year. They do a 30-year. They allow for credit blemishes. They allow for very low down payments, but they come with a downside. Some FHA loans, not some, all have mortgage insurance regardless of your down payment. Okay. Conventional loans don't have that. So mortgage insurance is, what that is, is money that you have to pay to protect the bank from you foreclosing. It's insurance on yourself to keep, so if you foreclose, they have money from an insurance pot to cover you in case of foreclosure. Gotcha. So FHA built in, gives them more ability to protect themselves from that type of a buyer, but also allows that buyer more access to home purchases. Well, so they've got a little bit of protection back there so they can take a little bit more risk. Yes. Is, is basically oh, 100%. what it is. Now, but with that, FHA has, added, I mean, the rates are incredible. The mortgage insurance is a little bit higher than than a conventional loan, but you can also have a, a, a much lower credit score. The other downside to an FHA loan is they charge you upfront money to protect yourself from closing too that's rolled on top of the loan, which is probably a different topic. But there's massive upsides for a first-time home buyer to be able to get into that $200,000 home that allows them to rapidly build equity in a market to where they're not stuck renting. Right. And that's exactly why FHA was put in place. Yeah. Now, uh, shifting to VA, obviously, mm -hmm. veterans loans. Mm -hmm. you, you had to have either been active or have served in the military. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, not everybody qualifies for that. So, mm -hmm. what's that benefit? I mean, it, if 
if a veteran comes to you, mm-hmm. are you immediately going to lean towards that VA? Mm-hmm. What's the benefit for the veteran of going through the VA loan process? Yes, uh, VA loans are by far, hands down, the best loan on the market, regardless of conventional or FHA eligibility. The main reason is you can do 100% financing with no mortgage insurance. So let's hypothetically say... And, and by the yep. way, uh, I, I said that. I want to make sure that that's what qualifies. It's a person in the military yeah. or was in the military. Yeah, there's some qualification. Just because you're in the military, you may have been a, a reservist and didn't serve enough time in the military to be eligible for a VA loan, but also surviving spouses. So you had a, a, a veteran you were married to that died. So a veteran spouse is eligible, um, or a veteran or a reservist who's had enough time. There's there's many ways to be eligible for a VA loan, sure. but you're gonna have to be tied to the military in some, I think, man, I'm not right off the top sure, but I think it's 91 days okay. that you have to have been in the military. Gotcha, so, okay. Um, but, but yeah. But it's a massive benefit, the rates are, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to spout off exactly what the rates were, but in the low twos on a 30-year rate for VA purchases and refinances recently, where conventional 30-year rates and FHA rates were in the mid to high twos. I mean, VA rates are smoking, and they don't have mortgage insurance involved. So, so. It, look, outsider looking in, not knowing mm-hmm. anything about the mortgage business, do you see any reason why a veteran or... in Let's go back. Do you have to be out of the military for no, a VA? Okay. You do not, no. Okay. So active service or veteran, is there any reason why they should be renting? No, no, no. Especially in this, really in the, I mean, I'm very familiar with Dallas Fort Worth area, but in 20 years, even through 2007, 2008, 2009 housing crisis, we were very fortunate to not have declining home values. So even in the height of 2008, when it was the it was a horrible market, you weren't losing money in mortgages you in your house. You were maybe flat one or two sure. years, and then it just took off again. So yeah, but but not losing money is still making money. Well, it's a lot better than renting because you're losing right. every month renting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's yeah. totally true. Mm-hmm. Totally true. So. You know, we, here we are, we're doing a podcast, right? And so we, we talk a lot about, you know, the advent of the internet. And normally, you would have to have a radio station behind you to be able to transmit over the airwaves, so to speak. So mm-hmm. anytime we talk about a traditional business, I mean, mortgages have been around for years. Banking's been around for years, right? But now you have the internet. Mm-hmm. And so you, you always hear about... You know, rocket mortgage, you mm-hmm. know, it's almost like Geico with insurance. You know, give us 15 minutes, we'll save you 15%. Everything's about, you know, going online or quicken loans. What what sets you apart as being, you know, this traditional mortgage broker mm-hmm. versus me filling out some kind of little app and saying, oh, okay, well, you know, quicken loans or rocket mortgage or, or any of those, mm-hmm. what's going to be the big difference there? I think the biggest difference, and I mean, I'm not going to slam my competitor by. Any oh means, no, and 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 that's not what I'm yeah. looking for. Not no, not a not a slam by any means. Yeah, but I will tell you, first off, a mortgage broker 
is available almost any time you need them. I mean, Saturday, Sunday, they are scrappy because they have to make a living. Sure. You know, the phone rings and you don't answer, somebody else is going to answer later on. Right. You know, so um, the biggest thing is quality of service. Okay. I mean, I, I think quality of service. Second, cost is probably if my biggest thing. I mean, you're going to get a high quality service with a mortgage broker. Second, you're probably hypothetically going to save anywhere from a thousand to two thousand. There's been times when I've been up against those same competitors you mentioned where I was $5,000, $8,000 less at the same rate with a much higher knowledge and a much higher um, quality of service, a much higher expectation of meeting the customers and the real estate agents and the seller's demands to close on time than any bank in a box right bank yeah. in a box that no yeah. that's a good way to put it and yeah. and and not to put you on the spot uh, we, we did talk a little bit before we hit the record button on the podcast but there's got to be somebody in all the loans that you've closed over the years that probably started out and said you know i i saw this commercial on tv and i went on rocket mortgage or you know in I don't know why I keep saying Rocket Mortgage. I'm not trying to down them. If they want to be a sponsor and, and pay us a million dollars, then we're going to say how great Rocket Mortgage is. But if it, there's got to be somebody that's started out with one of those online kind of sites and kind of went the wrong way for them or whatever. Do, do you have a story that maybe you could share about how you know somebody started out with one of those sites and then got maybe not jerked around, but it, it just wasn't working out for him. And you kind of scooped him up and rescued him and said, you know, not only did I rescue you, you, you closed on your house, you moved in, you put the swing set and the trampoline in the backyard, and, and you invited me over for a hamburger and a hot dog. But at the same time, I was able to save you a little bit of money. Yeah, <clears throat> that's not just every now and then. Really? No, no, it's, um, I think every mortgage broker you talk to probably if they're worth their salt has two or three of those stories a month. Wow. A month. And what's sad is they don't respond. A lot of times you'll call an 800 number and whoever picks up the phone is who's going to now work on your file and satisfy you. You may have somebody who is dedicated to your file, but they may work nine to four on one day and then 10 to five on the next day. And if like most people, they have, you know, most buyers have a job till 5 PM. Right. So to try and catch that person while that other loan officer is on the clock is not an easy, is not an easy task. Yeah. So you're going to deal with the time constraints of, I have to talk to this guy after hours or this lady after hours, and now I can't get a hold of them or this person's knowledge has steered me in a direction to where when the underwriter gets it, I've just spent money with an earnest money for a real estate agent to, to tie up a contract of not cheap. Usually it's 1% of the purchase price. So a $200,000 loan to get a contract, you paid $2,000, $200,000 price, $2,000 in earnest money. You might've paid three or $400 for an inspection and maybe a pest inspection of hundred bucks. And then your loan officer has said, oh yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. And then now you've 
cleared the contract issues, you've cleared the inspection issues, and now your loan officer's time to step up. They pull your stuff together and like, uh-oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you only had been on your job six months, and eight months ago you got laid off from COVID, and now I can't do this loan anymore. I get that call weekly. And there's nothing. And, there's, and, and so they, as you call it, bank in the box, which I kind of like. Uh, they're basically saying you're SOL. With them. With, no, with, no yeah, with, with, with them. them that, that's yeah. what they're saying. But hey, they'll hey. give you the input. They'll give you the. They'll imply to you that you're screwed everywhere, but you're not. Right. You're not screwed everywhere because being without a job from March of 2020 to May of 2020 because you're furloughed. That's probably thirty percent of our yeah. It's our not country. the end of the world. It's not, and it's very. I mean, and then you just met. You know, June came around. You got a new job. You got a couple of paychecks. Yeah, but what if they put it on writing on the internet? Because if you put it on writing on the internet, it's true, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. But I will tell you this: it's not, it's not the kiss of death in the mortgage industry. Yeah, and nor should it be. And if you've been able to maintain paying your bills. On un, even on unemployment, or you borrowed your money from your parents, or whatever the case was, but you were able to keep it together in that time frame. You can buy this house, and you can still close, and you don't have to have two years job history of making the exact same amount of money. There's lots of programs out there that can help somebody buy a house. Right. And and even if you did have a 30-day late in May, and you're trying to buy a house in November because of COVID, but there's underwriters out there that go, hey, I, my husband was laid off, and we're doing it. We'll we'll take a risk on you. Yeah, in in kind of a, alluding to the fact of, you know, the bank in the box. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you're you're skipping that uh, phase that you have somebody there to kind of guide you through the process. In that bank in the box, you're filling everything out yourself, saying this is what I want. Yeah. You got to tell me whether or not I'm qualified for this. Oh, I'm not qualified. Right. Versus coming to somebody like you and saying, look, Rand, here's my story. You tell me what I need to do to be able to buy a house, get yeah. into a house, and you're going to lead me through that. Oh, 100%. So I, I, I would probably say it's very similar to going to a fast food menu and saying, I want a number one with cheese. And that bank loan officer is going to say, I can do that. Or, sorry, you had a bankruptcy chapter 13, 14 months ago, and we don't do that. Versus going to a mortgage broker who is a chef at a gourmet restaurant and says, hey, wait a minute. You know what? What if we, do you like Worcestershire sauce on your cheeseburger? Right. We can do that for you. Or, you know what? That chapter 13 isn't a deal killer. Let me shape this for you and make this work for you. And you still get a rate in the twos. How's that sound? And the, the bank in the box may say, we don't do that under any circumstances where a mortgage broker goes, you know what? I got an investor who is perfect for you that doesn't care if you had a bankruptcy, especially since you've reestablished your credit. You've got a new job. Yeah, so what? You lost your job. and you. But here's what happened is you recouped and you've reestablished credit and you've changed your spending habits or you've changed your life and you've, you've made it. Let's take a chance on you. I don't care if you had chapter 13. That's what a mortgage broker is going to do for you. Right. So uh, we've talked about, you know, the blemishes on the credit, the the bankruptcies, the all that. What about that 
sparkly clean client, you know, no job problems, nice income, got mm -hmm. money in the bank, mm -hmm. good credit score, probably your dream come true, right? Because yeah. you're not going to have to jump through mm -hmm. all these hoops. Mm -hmm. How can a mortgage broker do good for them versus one of these bank in the boxes? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Today, I took a, ironically, I took a, a loan application from a loan officer who, um, she lives in Oregon. And um, she said, hey, I, I need to do, I need a loan application. I mean, I need a pre-qualification letter for a builder who's building my house. And Well, was she sure about yeah. that? Because now Oregon yeah. has like legal cocaine. Yeah. So yeah, this, no. this could be a joke. No, you, it was, you it was realize legit. That. It oh, was legit. Oh, okay. It was legit. Right. So she says, I need a... I need a prequal letter and I need your help. And I said, yeah, we can, we can help you out. She goes, I've got 800 credit score. I'm buying a $450,000 house. I'm, I just sold my house in Oregon. I got 300 grand. I'm putting down on it. So I'm going to be borrowing 150 grand. And I'm like, man, this is, this is too good to be true. This but, is, but you did give but, her the Texas test, right? You oh, know, yeah. we, we got plenty well, of people she, coming from the West Coast here to the Lone Star State. No, we, we don't need too many. That, hey, you told yeah. me to not go political. But she's solid. I mean, she's a solid buyer. She's in the loan industry. And she says, hey, you know, my house is going to probably take five months. I know with our company, Mortgage Bank in a Box, it's going to take us 60 days to close. And I said, you have got to be kidding me. Well, I mean, we can start 60 days and make sure we get all the boogeymen shaked out of the tree in case something happens. But I took a loan app on Monday with a very similar, a week ago Monday, not to get into too many details, but we didn't sure. need an appraisal. We didn't need documentation that typical loans need from a bank in the box. We're clear to close probably tomorrow. So wow. 11 days. She said her typical refinance is 60 days. Wow. I'm, there's VA loans, refinances on conventional that I'm closing in 12. With a high level of service and not stringing you out for 60 days, worrying about late lock expirations. There's, there's something to be said for that. So a perfect aces and eights credit score. Really, it doesn't matter if you're aces and eights or not. But since you brought it up, large down payment, great credit. W2 wage earner who just never has any blemishes, phenomenal credit. We're gonna we're gonna kill it. We're gonna kill it on rate. We're gonna not charge you in fees, and we're gonna give you a phenomenal turn time. Your realtor's gonna love it. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but I'm not kidding. It really is that way. Right. And and um, the accountability is there because we don't get our forty thousand dollar a year paycheck whether you close or not. We only get paid if Max Billington is in his house by Christmas. Right. And that's what we're going to make happen. Gotcha. Yeah. So so talking about credit scores, uh, such an interesting topic. Everybody loves to talk about credit scores. And, you know, you've got apps out there like Credit Karma. And uh, I have a, a loan on my car. And when I log into my app on my loan on my car, it's like, oh, you don't click here and here's your FICO score. Mm -hmm. But then you always get this talk about, Oh, well, you can't pay attention to those. Those aren't the mm -hmm. real credit scores. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, and, and you're, you're giggling, yeah, right? Because yeah. oh, yeah. you know where this is going, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I know you don't want to you know, talk bad about credit karma. I think it's kind of good. But those numbers on there doesn't necessarily correlate. What, what can you tell people about looking at those numbers and looking at what's going on so they're not surprised when you say, 
oh, well, Credit Karma told me my credit score is 740, but Rand, you're telling me my credit score is 680. What, what's mm-hmm. going on with that? That conversation happens every day. Um, credit bureaus, most people don't know this, but they have a lot of different types of credit scenarios based on who's lending you the money. So they're, they're called credit modules. So you, you might go to a car dealer and you have Wells Fargo or whatever pulling your credit for a car. They have a risk-based scenario for your credit score based on just buying a car. Or you go to Capital One or you go to Chase and get a credit card. There's a scoring model just for credit cards. So um, I know I've got a, credit, uh, a Capital One credit card and they've got a credit-wise scenario and I can click on it and tell me my credit score is 770. 100% guaranteed when you go to a mortgage company, your score is not going to be 770. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, a couple of years ago, it was probably 15 years ago, said loan officers are required to use our residential mortgage scoring model. It's much stricter. It's much more difficult. I say much more difficult, but it's a lot different than a More credit. stringent. It's, well, they're going to put more weight on mortgage lates, collections, bankruptcies. Maybe if you're perfect credit, you've never paid a late bill in your entire life. But two months ago, you maxed out your credit card. And now you're struggling. You're not struggling, but you may be still maxed. Yeah, you're making the minimum payment, yeah. but, it, but you're maxed Capital out One on that card. You know, they may say, hey, your credit score is too high. It's hurting your score by 10 points. Well, a mortgage bureau may hurt your score by 40 points. So I would tell you on average, whatever your credit score is through Credit Sesame or Credit Karma or CreditWise through Capital One, for instance, probably deduct 20, 25 points is what the average mortgage credit score is going to be. I mean, just, that's just the way it is. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. Very rarely, but it does happen. I'll pull a, a mortgage credit score and it'll be higher than Credit Karma or Credit Sesame. It doesn't happen all the time. But if your expectation is I've got an 820 on Credit Karma, you're probably going to have a 750 on a mortgage bureau. Wow, that, just, that's 70 points difference. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I will tell you the vast majority of the time, a 740 or higher is going to qualify you for the qualify you for the very best interest rate in the country at a 740 or higher. So if you're an 810 and your mortgage broker pulls a 770, don't fret. Right. You're solid. And you're going to you, if you're not getting the best deal, you need to find another mortgage broker because somebody's trying to yeah, trying to they, over yeah, on they, they're trying to take advantage mm-hmm. of you. So, you know, let let's go back to that guy, you know, renting an apartment or whatever and he downloaded the Credit Karma app mm-hmm. and he, he's looking at this and, and saying, well, I got to get my credit score up on Credit Karma because this is free for me. What number should he be looking at? Uh, all other things aside, you know, what what's kind of that magic number when he needs to call you and say, look, I, I think my credit's good enough and mm-hmm. there's no huge blemishes, but it, at least you're to a certain number. What What's kind of that magic number where not necessarily he's going to get approved, but where he needs to start talking to you and say, Hey, I, I'm looking to start buying a house. What's that magic number? Or actually, is there a magic yeah. number? I think the magic number right now, um, we live in a very strange environment with COVID. If you'd asked me this in March of last year, I would probably say 580 to 600. 
in post COVID or current COVID. Current COVID. Yeah, we're we're probably six forty or higher is really the magic number to know an FHA or probably an FHA VA loan is a slam not a slam down, but you're in really solid footing at six forty. You go below six forty. The interest rate's going to be higher. The underwriting is going to be more difficult, and there's a, a very good chance you're n- not going to have a pleasant experience. So, uh, very good chance. But what you're saying though is a mortgage broker versus bank in the box, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm going to wear that term mm-hmm. out. I like that. Uh, you're going to be able to tell somebody, look, I I, I see what's going on on your credit, but mm-hmm. here's some options. Yeah, bank in the box isn't going to do that, mm-hmm. right? They're just mm-hmm. going to say no. Yep. But so, but that doesn't mean game over. No, one hundred percent no. So I guess about mid-April, I was watching the news, which I watch a lot because I'm responsible for caring. A lot of people are building houses and watching rates and making sure I get them the best deal. And one of the big bank in the boxes, and shortly after they posted this, many bank in the boxes said, look, if you don't have 20% equity, either down payment or in refinancing, we're temporarily suspending all loans and we're just not gonna fund any loans that don't have 20% equity. So, you know, we have a lot of people out there that are building houses that had 5% down that now their bank in the box just told them, middle finger yeah you know so and what are they supposed to do what are they supposed to do? well they're supposed to call a mortgage broker but really and truly they're in big trouble because they don't they may not know to do that right but those big banks have these like i said earlier they have overlays they have layers of risk that they don't aren't willing to go below that fannie mae freddie mac and fha have stayed very constant through covid right that the people who underwrite just to that, which are mortgage brokers do that, you're much more likely to have a, an experience that's not gonna be Panicville midway through it because 640 is gonna be okay today, tomorrow, the next day. I don't see that changing, but I do know that in that same April or May, not only did you have to have 20%, but they went from 600 score to 680. Dude, 680, it's not, I mean, it's nothing to sneeze at. It's a decent score. But you're still not, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, 640s, that absolutely deserve to buy a house that now sure. those big bank in the boxes are not going to do. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're like my wife who forgets to pay a bill every now and then and has a couple of dings on there because they weren't paying attention to the yeah. mail or something yeah. like that. So they got a couple of 30-day lates on there, yeah. and it, it was just because they just made a mistake. It, yeah. it wasn't like they didn't have the money yeah. to pay for it, but it, we all screw up, right? Well, they, yeah, they're not a foreclosure risk. Yeah, exactly. Right. So uh, you talked a lot about the, you know, this age of COVID that we're in. Let's pretend tomorrow COVID solved. What do you think is going to change? Once all this COVID stuff goes away, what what do you foresee kind of change in in mortgage? Is it going to be back the way it was pre-COVID? Do you think we've learned some lessons during COVID that uh, might carry on and, and might change pre-COVID? I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm yeah. asking you a crystal ball nah, question, no, no. Uh, it, not holding you to any of this, but you know, if, if you had control of the mortgage world, COVID's gone, what, yeah, what do you think is going to happen? I don't think that COVID has really changed what I do in helping people buy houses that much. What it has done is, as you're going through the mortgage process, lenders have become more aware of 
um, people going on furlough, which is a serious problem. Sure. Because you don't know when they're not going to be on furlough. So right. furlough is a cuss word in the mortgage business. The underwriters like, oh, you're on furlough. You can't. You don't know. You're not making what you were making. So right. furlough is a problem. Forbearance. A lot of people went into forbearance What's on their forbearance? mortgage. So um, I guess maybe mid-April, the government came out and said, look, if you are, um, if you're late on your payment because of a, affected by COVID, COVID, yeah. You can make a phone call to your mortgage company, FHA, VA, conventional, whatever. We're going to allow you as a government, and we're going to tell your lender that you don't have to make your payment for the next 90 days. Well, just because the government says it doesn't mean that the lenders who are now servicing your loan aren't taking major hickeys. Right. And and by the way, I'm guessing the credit bureaus are still putting that on there. Oh, even yeah. Even though, even though they were Every day yeah. I deal with people saying, I went on to... I went into forbearance and it's not supposed to affect my credit. I'm going to tell you 100%. Anybody who went into forbearance, it's showing up on their credit. Gotcha. Especially a mortgage credit report. And that lender wants to know because if they fund your loan and it says forbearance on there, the ability of them to have somebody service your loan behind it dramatically drops. Right. So, so in essence, I own a home and I have a $2,000 a month mortgage. And then I find out, oh, I can do this forbearance and just not pay my home for 90 days. And now I'm going to pocket two grand a month. Yeah. That hurts me in the long run. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody's telling you that. No, quite the contrary. You know, I was almost, when I was watching this unfold in April, May, June, not only me, but a lot of my other friends that are in the mortgage business, a lot of real estate agents re- recognize the writing on the wall. And a lot of people, a lot of people went into forbearance, skipped their mortgage payments, pocketed five or six grand without realizing the detrimental effects it had. And when you come out of forbearance, you're going to have to write a check for all the payments you missed, or they're going to put it on the back of your loan for eight or nine grand. And when you forbearance meant when you agreed to forbearance that you were going to pay it current when you came out of forbearance or you're going to have 30 day late on your credit. And let's say over 90 days, you didn't make any payments. You had a 30 day late the first month. Now you've got a 30 day and a 60 day the second month. And now you've got 30, 60, 90 on the next month and you didn't pay it. Those are going on your credit and they're probably going to take the money you owed and put it on the back of your loan. So you're still going to pay for it. it. You didn't do yourself any favors. You did it, yourself no favors. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, you really have kicked yourself right square in the tail. But they didn't tell you that. Right. You know, and I've talked to multiple people that the bank almost encouraged it. They almost said, this is an option for you you should consider without really explaining to them or even understanding what the repercussions were long term. Right. So. Yeah, which uh, once again, kind of bank in the box. Yeah, a little bit, a yeah. little bit, a little bit bank yeah. in the box. Well, there. not only you that, know, but benefits I mean, them. It's not. It's the servicers in general. I mean, even the bank in the box. You may have a. You may not have gone to a bank in the box, but your loan got picked up by some servicer sure. who's encouraging True. you to take forbearance when you called because there's no downside, but there always is a downside when you're not paying what you're supposed to pay. There's no magic pill to make that go away. Right. So. Uh, Going back to that whole bank in the box, and and this brings up something I don't have written down in my uh, very detailed out research that, of course, we always do on The Wolf and the Shepherd because we research everything beyond maybe the fifth line on Google. But most of the time, 
you go to a mortgage broker or even a bank in the box, you get a mortgage. Maybe maybe it's not your bank bank, right? But you go to the bank in the box, you go to a mortgage broker, you get your mortgage. A month later, they sell that mortgage mm-hmm. and they sell it to some other bank. So sure. I, I go through RAND and I get my mortgage and next thing you know, a month later, I'm serviced by some other bank. Mm-hmm. Same thing with bank in the box? Oh, 100%. Okay. These, so I mean, they, they may okay. tell you. But, right, yeah. right. But now... I went through a bank in the box and now I've got this issue coming up. I don't really have anybody to call to say, hey, is this forbearance thing a good idea? But if I went through Rand, I could pick up the phone and say, hey, Rand, you you wrote me this mortgage two years ago and it got picked up by X bank and they're telling me this. You're going to tell me this information where the bank in the box isn't going to tell me. You know, I don't. Yes, that's a one hundred percent true. And even if you didn't go through me and you called me, I'm well, going to tell I, you that. But no, you're one hundred percent. You're one hundred percent right. I think most most of the loan officers. I say most because there are some really good loan officers at those bank in the boxes. But a lot of those people, one two years, maybe in the business, they don't really understand. Maybe they. You're not. Know. Well, but you're not creating a relationship. No, and not only that, but they haven't. They don't. They don't. It's no it's no offense to them, but they don't understand that there's a lot of responsibility that goes into helping somebody with a mortgage long-term. I mean, I am in, I want to be somebody's loan officer for life. I really do. And I mean, we, you and I have been in, been in this relationship. I mean, not only are we friends, but we've been in the loan officer business relationship now for well over a decade, maybe almost two. Yeah. So it's important that you, Find somebody you trust. If it's not a loan officer, it's a real estate agent because most of these real estate agents were very aware of what was happening. So find somebody you trust and make sure you get information before you jump into a forbearance situation. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people struggle with that because mm-hmm. they, and I don't want to bag on realtors, but man, there's a lot of realtors out there. It seems to be an easy gig to get into and uh, people struggle with you know, do they have my best interests in mind and, and everything? But when it comes down to it, they, there's a lot more realtors than there are mortgage people. Yeah, it, but there's a lot of mortgage people who are the same. Sure. They really are. But, no, it makes I sense. I mean, but, but um, I can't make a living on doing one loan and never seeing them again. Right. That's just not, first off, that's not the cloth that I'm cut from. Second off, that's a horrible business model. Yes. My job is to not only help you buy your house, but then you love it so much that you're at the water cooler at work and you tell all your friends. Right. And then you try to convince your realtor to quit using their loan officer because this guy's so great. Because I want them to have the most unbelievable experience they've ever had. And they feel like they're my brother or sister. Right. And I'm not kidding. That's well, no, that's that, how I feel. But, it, you know, that that's what you've got to have. And, and mm-hmm. there's only so many you know, cute commercials that you can see or, you know, the, the 15 minutes can save you 15% or, or whatever till you realize you get what you pay for. And ironically, in your business, you get what you didn't pay for. 100%. Because what, what, what better is that? Yeah, yeah. you you save money and you get better service. I mean, yeah, that, and, that's and, that's a very rarity. So you can you can imagine why people would say, well, I must be dealing with some kind of discount shop or, or yeah. something like here. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get the same thing. If I'm saving all this money, you know, you get what you pay for and, yeah. and all that. So, so you can see why people might say, 
oh, there's got to be something wrong here. But yeah. it kind of goes back to that old school way of doing business. And yep. there are some things that we actually need to do the old school way. Yeah. And it's very hard for people to kind of yeah. wrap their head around that and say, yeah, I got to do this old school. Yeah, you said something that I, I get this question a lot is, hey, Rand, how do you get paid? You don't charge anything. You answer the phone at 10 p.m. Well, I had to pay you $1,000 to show up here. Yeah, that's one <laughs> no, way you can just make a kidding. But, um, and, and also, like, like, like we have $1,000 yeah. here at our podcast to pay yeah. a guest. And by the way, if you want to be a guest on here, we're not paying you $1,000. Yeah. Well, he told me he's made 11 bucks in a year. So yeah. I don't even know, whatever. Hey, that's a, that's a secret. <laughs> but anyway, so um, I do get that call. How do you not have origination fees? How do you not have processing fees? All these things that all these big banks have. How are you making? How are you making a living? <laughs> and uh, but that's a legit question. How do you how do you get paid? Right. And I will tell you how I get paid. I get paid by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or FHA or VA to deliver your loan without fraud, effectively inside their rate lock period. On time, they fund the loan, and in that they pay me a commission to deliver your loan, usually at a eight to a quarter point lower than the banks. However, the big difference is. The banks do the exact same thing. They get the same commission from right. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or FHA, and they charge you fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars, or two thousand, or five thousand dollars on top of that, which to me is borderline greed. But that's what happens. Sure. And that's how I get paid. So it's not like I'm doing this for free. I can't do it for free. Well, no. But but banks do. I mean, the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they pay for the right to service that loan, which is worth a lot of money. And they pay me a very small percentage of that so that I can make a living. Right. So that, that's how I make my that's yeah. how I make my living. No, that that that's good to know. So last question for you. If you were elected the czar of mortgages for the United States of America, what would you change about the mortgage business? Oh my goodness. Hmm. Elected czar of the mortgage business. You have complete control over the way mortgages are done. Everything. Yeah. What 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 is one of those those big things that you would say? Hey, you know, uh, you were running on some kind of election platform, right? And you said, "I want to be the czar of mortgages in the United States." And you got to talk like that, by the way. <laughs> and then you deliver on that election promise. What is the what is one thing that you see that's going on in the mortgage world that you you would like to see changed? Wow, I, I you know I think the thing that bothers me the most is there's a there's a lot of people out there, a lot of lenders out there that don't follow through with what they say. Okay, and and there's accountability, one hundred percent. And I think that the problem is even though there's 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 police in place for this. I mean, the sure. mortgage, the there, mortgage there industry. Is some, there is some accountability. Yes, yes. But the problem is it's a slap on the wrist or it's these people just shrugged it off. They got to closing. The loan officer said, you're coming to the table with $5,000, but hey, you're coming to the table with 9000 That's not okay. Right. And so those people are like, I'll just pay the $9,000. i will borrow from my mom. I'll try and figure it out. And then they close and that person gets away with it. 
because the problem, because the buyer is just happy to get in their yeah. house and they're like, yeah. oh, it was a last minute yeah. problem, but I yeah. still have my house that yeah. I really want. Yeah, and, and I they get what, away with it. Yeah, and what bothers me is that person had called me four weeks earlier and I said, there's no way you're getting in for four thousand dollars. This person's hosing you. The old the, bait and switch. Yes, and now they're getting a closing. and They're like, Rand, you are right. Can you fix this real quick? And I'm like, not real quick. I can fix this in about twelve days. They're like, but my contract's done and I'm out of my house. So if I were a czar, oh, however you said it, you know, in the yeah. funky word, but if I were the czar, I would say, look, turn that person in and we're going to do whatever we can to where they don't do that to anybody else. Sure. You know, that bothers me because it happens weekly and monthly in my business where I lose a loan that I know is going to, in 30 days, get their clock cleaned and I'm just going to watch it like a slow train wreck. Is there anything anybody can do about that? I think there is, but the problem is the damage is done by the time they realize it. So they they either buy the house and fall on the sword, right? Or they just don't buy and they're out three thousand dollars in earnest money and option fees. Because when you get to the point where your closing documents are at the table, there's rules out there that hold you accountable because that seller has now moved out of their home. You can be sued for what's called specific performance, even though you were you were wrongly defrauded out of your money, but you're your host. You're yeah. in a real pickle and you have no recourse. Yeah. And if I were a czar, I would say, fine, you're gonna do that to that person. You just forfeited your ability to make a living in the mortgage industry. But I'm not a czar. Yeah. That is what no, it is. No, that's, that's a, that's a scary thing to think about. I mean, yeah. it, it really is. And it happens every day. But I'll tell you that that's not the norm. Sure. It's not the norm. But you just need to know whoever you pick. It's it's not just a bank in a box versus a broker, and they're both going to do the same thing. There's a lot of good bank in the boxes out there. But you better make sure that you've vetted them enough that you know that what they tell you at the day you get your estimate is the same that you do when you close. Absolutely. So, so with with all that said, if uh, somebody's interested in talking to you about a mortgage, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, pick up the phone. You can call me. I'll give you my phone. Is it okay to get my phone number? Absolutely. My phone number is 817-528-7559. I've got a business Facebook page. I think if you put it in the search in Facebook, it's My Man Rand, M-Y-M-A-N-R-A-N-D, and it should pull up. It's not, uh, it's not Rand uh, Paul, not Rand Paul. That might pull <laughs> up because he did have a My Man Rand for a oh, while in the early you. 2000s. But My Man Rand, you can go to my, uh, you can go to uh, um, email and shoot me an email, rand at mymanrand.com. Um, man, phone, text, email, whatever, man, I'll jump right on it. If all I do is just keep somebody else honest, I don't care if I do your loan or not. All I ask is when you're happy, you send your next best friend to me when you when they buy a house. Absolutely. So, and really and we'll of course put that information in the description. So if uh, you know you're listening in the car, don't don't worry about trying to write that down. It'll be in the description. Well, thanks Rand for joining us today. We hope if uh, you're out there looking for a home and oh, by the way, one last question. It's only Texas? 
Texas right now. Yeah. Okay. I'm a, yeah. Because because we do have people that listen outside of Texas. So yeah. so as far as uh, you know, if you're looking to buy a house in Texas, yeah, you can call Rand or call me, but, and we'll find uh, somebody it, else. I yeah. exactly. Yeah. If you're outside of Texas and you got questions, I'm sure Rand can probably find I'm you sure. somebody outside the state of Texas uh, that that can help you. Absolutely. So. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. We appreciate your support and everything, and we'll catch you on the next one.